0: Good morning and welcome to Pinion Hills Community Church, who is excited to be here this morning. Me too! Thank you for joining us. If you happen to be watching on the live stream right now, you're in good company. Last week we had over 2,000 people that watched our online services. So, if you happen to be one of those people that are watching online, yeah, you can give them a round of applause. They're applauding you! If you happen to be watching online this week, I would encourage you to join the discussion. If you're watching on Facebook, you can add to the comment section. You can ask your questions, post your comments. You can even just let us know where you're watching from. People from all over the world are watching. We have a pastor right now who is responding to those questions and those thoughts. And so, thank you for joining us. Next week, we are starting a brand new series called Fighting Words. Now, this particular series is all about some of the most controversial things that Jesus ever said that people were willing to throw down over. In fact, it was some of those fighting words that ultimately led to his crucifixion. So next week, as we start this series, it's a five-week series, leads all the way up to Good Friday and to Easter. But if you happen to know somebody who doesn't know Jesus perhaps a friend, family worker, co-worker, somebody that doesn't know Jesus, they don't come to church very often, this would be a great time to invite them to to have them come to a new series that starts next Sunday. Now, by the way, next Sunday is Daylight Savings Time, which means spring forward, which means that this service is going to be vacant next week. (laughs) (laughs) So set your clocks, don't don't sleep in, don't come to the 1030, show up and be here uh, for that, even though uh, it's Daylight Savings. So That's next week. Today, we're continuing on in our series called Drift. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how important it is to not drift from some of the most important people in our lives. We are called to to not drift from uh, our spouse, from our kids. We're called to not drift from other people. We are called to not drift from the, some of the most important people in our lives, and that's what we're going to wrap up today in our four-week series of drift. Several years ago, uh, my wife and I we went to Cabo in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. And I don't know if you've ever been to Cabo before, but Cabo. Let me put up a, a map. Let me put up a graphic as far as where Cabo is. You'll see. Uh, you'll see over here. There's a peninsula coming down on the, the coast of off the coast of Mexico, and it says Los Cabos right there. It's Los Cabos because there's plural Cabos. There's multiple Cabos. There's Old Cabo and New Cabo. Now, people when they're referring to Cabo, they're typically just referring to Cabo in general. Now, notice on the left-hand side of Cabo is the Pacific Ocean. On the right-hand side, that body of water that goes up up the, the coast, that's the Gulf of California. And so Cabo, where Cabo sits, is right at the kind of the intersection of where the Gulf of California and the Pacific Ocean meet, is right where Cabo is. So, Somebody told us a long time ago, Matt, Ashton, you should go to Cabo. You should go to vacation there. So we're like, okay, let's go to Cabo. We're going to go hang out and we're going to go chill and, and have a vacation in Cabo. So we go down there. And the place you have to go when you go to Cabo is a place called Lover's Beach. There's this beautiful arch. In fact, I have a picture of Lover's Beach. Here's Lover's Beach. There's an arch on the front side. That's Lover's Beach. Now, Everybody, when we got to Cabo, they're like, you have to go to Lover's Beach, you've got to go there. It's so romantic, it's so beautiful. And we're like, okay, this is before we had kids, we're newlyweds, and we're like, let's go to Lover's Beach. So we take a, a little ferry over there to Lover's Beach, you got to take a boat there, you can't walk there. So we get there, and we get off the boat, and it was beautiful. It was romantic, and the sand is like baby powder, really soft sand and there's little rock structures off the coast where you can swim out there with your lover. If you go there and you don't have a lover, go there anyway, maybe you'll find a lover. (laughs) And there's little rock structures you could go and you can climb them with your lover and then you can hold your lover's hand you can jump off like Romeo and Juliet into the ocean below it's so romantic and so peaceful. <laughs> so my wife and I we're hanging out on vacation we got our toes in the water, toes in the sand, not a worry in the world holding my wife's hand life is good today. <laughs> right? Some dude walks up to me while we're on our vacation, toes in the sand, and he says, "Hey, are you going to go to a divorce beach?" <laughs> A, what kind of question is that? And B, no, this is Lover's Beach, not Divorce Beach. Ha, novice. He's like, no, no, no. Right now you're sitting on Lover's Beach. But if you go through that arch, on the other side is Divorce Beach. And he goes on to explain. He said, on the Gulf side, it's protected because of the peninsula. So the waves are calm. It's surreal. It's nice and romantic. But if you go to the other side, the Pacific Ocean is on the other side of that arch. And that's Divorce Beach. Well, now I'm intrigued. <laughs> and so I tell my wife, I'm like, hey, let's pick up from Lover's Beach and go to Divorce Beach. Now, I'm sure there's a sermon in there somewhere of stay on Lover's Beach, don't go through the arch. There's like, you know, an angel and demon talking to my shoulders. I'm like, let's go check it out. It's the worst that could happen. So we go through the arch, we go to, to, to Divorce Beach and we get over there and there's warning signs all over that say, do not get in the water. So we look at the water and sure enough, The water is crazy. The waves are violent on the Pacific side. On the Gulf side, it's protected, it's calm, there's hardly any waves at all. On the Pacific side, there's waves coming in from the west coast, waves coming up from the south, they're merging together. It's like a big blender down there, it's just crazy. The waves are buck-nutty crazy over there on the divorce beach side. But that's not why they call it divorce beach. As I start to learn more about divorce beach, I've learned that there's a, a, a shortly after the water, if you go a couple yards into the water in divorce beach, there's a cliff drop off that drops 1,312 feet. Now, to put that in perspective, let me put up a picture of the Empire State Building in New York City. Here's a picture of the Empire State Building. This building was built in 1930. When it was built, it was the tallest building in the world, 102 stories tall. It's 1,250 feet tall, which means the drop-off at Divorce Beach is 62 feet taller of a drop-off than the Empire State Building in New York City. But even that is not why they call it Divorce Beach. The reason they call it Divorce Beach is because sometimes lovers will meander through the arch, come from Lover's Beach over to Divorce Beach, and a rogue wave... They'll be too close to the water and a wave will come that they don't anticipate and knock them down. And then there's a violent riptide. It's one of the worst, strongest riptides in the entire world. The riptide sucks people out, drags them out, and then the water pushes them down down the, the side of the cliff, 1,300 feet to the base of the ocean. And all of a sudden, they just got divorced. <laughs> Apparently, that's why it's called Divorce speech. So my wife and I, we've meandered over there. To divorce beach. And we have a a good distance away from the waves, so I don't think we're gonna get hit and pummeled by a wave, but I'm looking at the the blender of waves. Like it's just frothing, it's white with foam. It's just it's crazy. And I tell my wife, I'm like, honey, anybody that gets in that water has to be clinically insane. There's no chance anybody should get in the water. And I kid you not, right when I say that, some dude runs by me with a boogie board and whoo! bay Bay watches into the ocean. And I'm like, that guy, case in point, he's insane. He's going to die in front of us. And then I told my wife this, honey, if he gets dragged in with a riptide and sucked out, I ain't going after him. If it was you, if you did that, I can be your hero, baby. I will go after you, but not this stranger. And right then, right then, he gets sucked out, dragged out, pushed down, and he drowned. I'm kidding. He didn't. He didn't drown. <laughs> Some of you are so compassionate. <laughs> oh, no. He didn't drown, but he very well could have. He very well could have, we could have witnessed this guy drowning and he would pick up his boogie board, he'd run back to the sand, do it again, dive into the water and pick up his boogie board, do it again over and over and over. Isn't this how sometimes it is? Sometimes if you were to go onto Google right now and Google divorce beach deaths you'd see all sorts of people who have died there and this guy over and over and over just flirting with death. Flirting with a disaster. And that's how sometimes it is with us, Sometimes we put ourselves in the compromising positions over and over and over and wonder why bad things happen when they happen. We've been in the series over the last couple of weeks, in this series of Drift, and we, as we've been talking about this series, we've been talking about how important it is to not drift away from people. We've been talking about how important it is to, to not drift away from our wife, our husband, from our kids, from our friends. In fact, it was last week, I don't know if you came last week, but if you came last week, I put up a meme, and there's a, a meme that I'm convinced is written by a guy who has no friends. Let's put up, put up the meme. Here's the meme. My plans for the weekend, I'm going to Walmart parking lot and putting sticky notes on the windshields that say, sorry for the damage, and then watching people look for it. Now, what perhaps you didn't know is that while I was putting that meme up on the screen and talking and preaching last week, we had a whole team of young adults go out into the parking lot and put sticky notes on people's cars that said, sorry for the damage. And then we had a camera set up to watch reactions of people that actually weren't paying attention in church and and didn't know that it was all a joke. And and I'd like to share that video with you. Now, check it. (laughs) you know those people in those videos. and You're like,
1: ah, that guy. It's
0: so funny. Bottom line, we are not supposed to drift away from people. God wants us not to be divided, but to be united, which is why we keep coming back to this theme verse of Hebrews six 19. We've been talking about this verse for the last four weeks. Here's the verse. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have a hope that provides an anchor for us. Now, what's the anchor? It's God's word. God's Word provides us an anchor so that we don't drift from our spouse, we don't drift from our kids, we don't drift from our friends, but even though those are important messages that we've had so far in the series, there's one more relationship that is of utmost importance that you don't drift from. In fact, today's message, I think that it might be the most important, most crucial message in the entire series, because there's one particular relationship that you you simply cannot drift from, which is the relationship between you and God. That's the one you cannot afford to drift from. In fact, if you're taking notes, you can write this down in your program. You can't afford to drift from the Lord. You can't afford to drift from the Lord. And there's many reasons why. Let me give you a couple of the reasons why. Look at what Jesus said, John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from God. If you've drifted from God... You could do nothing. You can't afford to drift from the Lord. Here's another verse. Paul said this in Romans 8.31. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? You can't afford to not have God have your back. If God is for you, who can be against you? Here's another reason to not drift from from the Lord. Isaiah 40.31 says this. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those who are drifting from the Lord, are simply doing something they can't afford. But here's, here's the reality. How many times do people go down to the car lot, and they see a car that they really, 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 really want, and I can't afford it, but I'm gonna buy it anyway. How many times do people see a house, and, ah, oh, I really wanna be in that house or that apartment or the condo, and I, I really, really, really like it, I can't afford it, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna get it anyway. You can't afford to drift from the Lord, but so many people do anyway. They drift away from God. And the the reality, the nature of drifting is that sometimes you don't even know you're drifting. You can't afford to drift from the Lord, but you might be drifting right now. You might be further from God than you should be right now. So what are some warning signs? What are some red flags that might indicate that you've been drifting from God and didn't even know it? There's four of them. First one is this. It's whining. It's whining. Whining. If you find yourself whining or complaining a lot, perhaps that's indicative of you've been drifting away from the Lord. Look at what it says in Philippians 4:19. God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God's going to meet all your needs, but if you're whining and you're complaining, perhaps a few things might be true about you. Either you're ungrateful for what God's already provided, you're not expressing your gratitude or your thankfulness, or perhaps you're so far from God that you don't even realize he's providing for you. Even in the middle of of tumultuous times, if you're whining or complaining, perhaps you've lost sight that God provides all your needs. That's an indicator, it's a red flag that you might be drifting from the Lord. Here's another one. Another red flag that might indicate you're drifting from the Lord is, is apathy. Now you might be thinking, well, Matt, is apathy really a warning sign? Actually, it's a huge warning sign. If you're apathetic... Sometimes that means you've, you've been drifting away from God. Look at what Jesus says, Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In other words, Jesus is saying, love God with everything. But if you have apathy towards God, it's really hard to love God with everything. If you don't really care about your relationship with God, it's really hard to love the Lord with all your heart, all all your mind, all your soul. It's really hard to do that if you have apathy towards God. If apathy is in your life towards God, perhaps that means you've drifted from God. Look at another verse, Matthew 22, 39. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's really hard to love your neighbor as yourself when you're apathetic or you don't care about your neighbors. It's hard to do that. If you have apathy in your life, perhaps that means you've been drifting from God. Look at another verse, Amos chapter 5. He's a prophet in the Old Testament. He says this. He says, seek God, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good. Let me be honest with you. It's really hard to hate evil when you're apathetic about your sin. It's really difficult to hate evil when you embrace your sin. It's hard to hate evil when you keep coming back to your sin or you justify your sin. You say things, well, I'm, I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not as bad as him or as her. And you're apathetic towards your sin. God's word says you should hate evil, love good. But sometimes we justify our sins. If you have apathy in your life, whether towards God, towards people, towards your sin, perhaps that means you've been drifting farther away from God. That's the second warning sign. Here's the third warning sign. Third warning sign that indicates you might be drifting away from God is this. It's a lack of joy a lack of joy. Now, we can and should have joy no matter what the circumstances are in our lives. Good times as well as bad times. Now, sometimes people have joy in the good moments of their life, but when things hit the fan, when things don't go according to plan, now I'm bitter, I'm resentful, I'm pointing the finger, I'm blaming God. But we should have joy at all times. Look at what it says in James 1, 2, and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Notice it doesn't just say whenever you face good times or experience euphoria. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. If you're going through life and you're you're having a lack of joy, perhaps that means that you've been drifting from God and didn't even know it. That's the third red flag. The fourth red flag is this. Lack of purpose. If you have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning, you wonder why you're here. What's your role in life? You feel like there's a lack of purpose. Two things. Number one, you do have purpose. And number two, if you feel like you don't, maybe that means you've been drifting from God because look at what it says in Romans 8.28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You see, the closer that you are to God, the more that you'll understand that his purpose for your life should be your purpose for your life. Your purpose should be His purpose. The closer that you are, the greater understanding, the greater clarity you have for what purpose God has for you based on your strengths, your passions, your interests, how He's wired you. Your purpose is His purpose. His purpose is your purpose. But the further we are away from God, we get this sense of, do I have a purpose? Do I have a role in this world? Those are four signs that might indicate that you are drifting from God. Let me put them all on the screen at the same time. Here's all four of them. Whining, apathy, lack of joy, lack of purpose. Now, notice the first letter of each one of those warning signs. Spells out W-A-L-L, wall. Here's how sometimes it feels, right? You've been drifting from God. You're getting further and further away. You've got more and more distance, and sometimes you feel like there's a wall between you and God. You feel like there's a barrier between you and God. Now, What's caused that distance? What's caused that wall? Is it God? Is it God saying he's pushing you away? It can't be God because look at what James 4.8 says. Come near to God and he will come near to you. If you come near to God, he's going to come near to you. So he's not the one that built the wall. He's not the one that's created the distance. He's not the one that's created the separation. So something did or someone did. Typically, there's one of two culprits that creates a drift between you and God. First one is this, the enemy. The enemy wants to do anything he possibly can to to get you further away from God. Look at what Jesus says about our enemy, John 10.10. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy does not want you close to God. It reminds me of a story I heard recently about a spear fisherman off the coast of South Africa. Now, most people in San Juan County, New Mexico, have no idea what spear fishing even is. It's definitely not fly fishing like in the San Juan. So, so let me explain to you spear fishing. Spear fishing is basically like, like snorkeling with a bayonet, is what spear fishing is. So, people get, you know, goggles, they get tanks and all that, and they go underneath the water, and they've got a spear gun. Now, this is different than your normal rod and reel, right? So, the spear gun is connected to a spear, and when somebody shoots a Fish underwater that has it has a line. Like, not like a thin line like a fishing line, but more like a ski rope line, like a rope. So, if you hit the fish, you can pull it back in. Well, that spear is connected to the rope. The rope's connected to the spear gun. The spear gun's connected to, this is like that the song, the knee bone's connected to the, <laughs> the spear's connected to the, the rope. The rope's connected to the gun. The gun's connected to the fisherman. And then, the fisherman's connected to another rope that goes up to a buoy. And the reason you have a buoy is so a boat doesn't come over and run you over and you get chopped up with the rudder, right? So, this whole, this whole package is what people take when they go spear fishing. So, this dude, in South Africa. He goes spearfishing, goes down to his local spot that he normally goes to, gets into the water, and right when he gets into the water, he sees a great white shark. <laughs> now, I don't know if the thought crossed his mind. I could shoot that thing. But he, uh, he, he came to his senses. He gets uh, away from the shark, gets out on the shore, but he stays there. Now, if it's me, I would have booked it. I would have gone home. I'm like, not fishing today. I'm out of here. But he sticks around to wait for the shark to leave. So the shark circling around, takes off. Spear fisherman gets into the water. He's got his buoy, his rope, his gun, his his line, his spear. He sees a fish, a muscle cracker fish. And he takes aim and shoots it. Nails it, gets the fish. Reels the fish in, ties the fish to his buoy. Now, if you shoot a fish, I mean, you're smart people, it starts to bleed. And when you tie a bleeding fish to your buoy where there's a great white shark just circling around, that probably means he can smell blood in the water. So he goes on, dying dead fish bleeding fish on his buoy, goes back to spear fishing. Well, that great white, sh- sure enough, smells the blood in the water and comes back and thankfully doesn't take out the fisherman, but he grabs the dying dead fish on the end of the buoy. But the fish is connected to the buoy, which is connected to the gun, which is connected to the spear fisherman, which is the whole thing's connected. So all of a sudden, this great white takes off with the bait that he was apparently just set, and takes off towards the open ocean. So this guy is all connected to his gun and he starts getting dragged backwards out to the open ocean being dragged by a 15-foot great white shark. It takes him about 50 yards, half of a football field, to finally unsnap himself, gets unbuckled, and then swims back to the shore. Luckily he gets out of it, he's not scathed, not even a scratch on him. But then the very next day he finds out that a rescue team had gone out and, and saw the buoy, so they pull up the buoy thinking they'd find a dead fisherman at the bottom of it. They pull up the buoy Well, this guy was friends with the rescuer, and so the rescuer calls him and says, hey, I've got your buoy. So the guy, the fisherman, comes back the next day in the rescue house and picks up his buoy. Here's a picture of the rescuer and then the guy. That's his buoy. Now, when he gets his buoy, he tells the rescuer, I needed this buoy because I'm going back today to go fishing how could you do that? You, you nearly lost your life the, the day before, and you want to go back to the same spot to go fishing again. You'd think he would learn his lesson, but he didn't. Isn't this how it is with us oftentimes? You know, our enemy wants to do everything he possibly can. He's here to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to ruin you. So sometimes we, we drift away from God, but to be honest with you, sometimes our enemy is going to drag us away from God. He's going to do everything he can to create distance and separation between you and God. But sometimes, sometimes it's not just the enemy, sometimes it's us saying, well, you know, I got dragged out in this situation yesterday, but I'm going to go ahead and do it again. And I know this happened last week, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. And you wonder why you get dragged away from God. When you're venturing into the same waters that you were in the day before, you see, sometimes the reason why we have a drift or a separation between us and God. Is sometimes the enemy's dragging us away, but the reality is that sometimes it's not the enemy's problem. It's you. Sometimes you're the culprit. Sometimes it's you. You are the reason why there's separation and a drift between you and God. Look at what it says in James 1:13 and 14. It says, when tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Sometimes, sometimes it's our fault. Like that dude at Divorce Beach, running down in the ocean, hoping he doesn't get pushed down off the edge. you wonder why so many deaths are there, because people are just flirting with disaster a spear fisherman who shoots a fish and, and wonders why he got dragged away by a great white and then goes back and does the same thing over and over and over. Sometimes it's our fault. The reason we're so far from God, the reason we're, we've are we drifted from God is, is nobody to blame but us. Now, sometimes people choose to blame. Sometimes people will be like, well, if it wasn't for my spouse, I'd be tight with God. But my spouse doesn't want to come to church. He doesn't want to come to church. She doesn't want to come to church. So if it weren't for my spouse, then I would be close to God. But it's their fault I'm not close to God. Sometimes people blame their kids. Well, this stage of my life, my kids are little, and it's like herding cats in the morning, so I can't get to church. If it weren't for my kids, if it weren't for this chapter, then I'd be tight with God. Sometimes people blame their employer. Well, if it wasn't for my boss, who scheduled me to work on Sundays, then me and God, we'd be close, we'd be buddies, But but it's my job that prevents me from being close to God. Sometimes people blame their circumstances. I'd be close with God if this event hadn't happened, or if this event hadn't happened, or if this thing didn't happen to me, then I'd be good with God. But because of these other circumstances, I I know that there's a distance between God and I. Sometimes people even blame God. If it wasn't for God, I'd be close to God. Really? (laughs) People oftentimes want to point the finger of blame when sometimes they just need to look in the mirror and realize the, the decisions that you made have led to where you're at today. The reason there's a separation, the reason there's a drift, the reason there's a rift in your relationship with God is because of you. Now, that might be discouraging, but let me give you good news. It doesn't matter what caused the drift. It doesn't matter whether it was the enemy dragging you away from God or you holding on and getting dragged out or if circumstances or something else. It doesn't matter what caused the drift. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It doesn't matter what caused the drift. You can create the shift back to God. We can blame people all day long, and quite frankly, it doesn't really matter. But it doesn't matter what caused the drift, you can create the shift back to God. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 2 that I've been waiting for four weeks to talk about because it kind of wraps up this entire series of the drift series. And here's this verse that I want to to read to you this morning. This relates to your spouse, to your kids, to your friends, and to God. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention... Therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away." Notice the author doesn't say, we need to pay a little attention to what we've heard. We need to pay some attention to what we've heard. He says, we need to pay the most attention to what we have heard so we don't drift away. It doesn't matter how far you got from your spouse. You could take the steps to get back closer to him. Doesn't matter how far you are from your kids, from your friends, from God. You can create the shift necessary to get back to where you're supposed to be. So pay the most careful attention to the things you've heard through this entire series. Why? So you do not drift away. That's why I'm so excited this morning, because this morning we're celebrating baptism. And, and this tank up here in baptism, you know, people, when people come up here, they're basically making the statement, you know what, I've been drifting for t- far too long away from God. And today, today, we're going to celebrate, and we're going to, to, to come and draw near to God. And, and when I draw near, when you draw near to God, he draws, draws near to you. And so people that are getting baptized, they're simply making the shift back to God. They're simply saying, I'm done drifting. I'm going to make the shift back to God. And I'm again in this tank. And they go underneath the water. And when they go underneath the water, it's as if they're dying to their old ways. They come back out of it as a new creation. And does that mean they never sin again? No. Does it mean they're perfect? No. Does it mean they never make another mistake in their life? No, it doesn't mean any of those things. What it means is that they're drawing near to God. And God's going to draw near to them as well. They're making a public declaration that they're done drifting away from God. And I'm so excited because when, when one person stops the drift and creates the shift... When one person repents, what scripture says is that all of heaven shuts down. The angels throw a celebration, which is why here at Pinyon Hills Community Church in Farmington, New Mexico, if angels are throwing a celebration, then by golly, we are too. So after these, we have 29 people getting baptized today. After these baptisms, we're throwing a celebration out in the plaza. There's a big photo booth. If you've ever been baptized, you want to take a picture with all these people that are getting baptized, jump in there. It's like a family reunion, right? So jump in there, be a part of the picture. We also have Oreos to celebrate outside because what better party than Oreos, right? What better way to celebrate? So, so enjoy some Oreos. In fact, even as you're leaving today, some of the people at the doors are going to be handing out keychains, and on the end of the keychain has a little icon of an anchor. And this is your memoir. This is your reminder to pay the most careful attention to the things you've heard from God's Word. Why? So you do not drift away. Be anchored to God's Word, and that will stop you from drifting. So I'm excited for these baptisms. I'm excited for the celebration we're about to have So as the people that are getting baptized get ready to come out in just a moment, the band's going to be playing a song and leading a song called Run to the Father. And this is sometimes the message that we need to remind ourselves. If we run to the Father, it doesn't matter how far away we've gotten. It doesn't matter how far we've drifted. If we choose to come back and draw near, he's going to draw near to us. And we could have drifted away last year, and he'll welcome us back with open arms again. And we could drift again and again and again. And every time we come and draw near to him, he draws near to us again again and again and again and again and again. So if you You've drifted from God right now. Come back to God. Draw near to God. And friends, he will draw near to you. Listen to the words of this song. Run to the Father.
1: I've carried a burden For too long, no wasn't created spirit bear it on. I hear your invitation to let it all go but I see it now I'm late. My soul needs a surgeon, my heart needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh, oh, oh. You saw my condition, had a plan from the start. Your son for redemption The price for my heart I don't have a context For that kind of love I don't understand I can't comprehend All I know is I need you I run to the Father, I fall into grace I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend So I run to the Father again and again and again and again to the Father I fall in grace I'm done with the hiding No reason to wait My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend So I run to the Father again and again and again and again Again and again yes. Again and again